plans for my crazy day. My packed commute. All those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Welcome in to the Locked on Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine. Great to have you in on a Thursday. Joe Goodberry coming up in about 15 seconds or so. You can subscribe on iTunes, audioboom.com. And we are now on the iHeartRadio app on Twitter, at James Rapine, at Locked on Bengals, and Joe Goodberry, who's going to join us after every game, uh, every regular season game, hopefully playoff game for the Bengals this year. Also joining us to recap preseason week two, kind of preview week three. He's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Joe, I appreciate the time, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, and I'll join you after a Super Bowl game, too. Oh, look at See, you're calling your shot. That's what that's called. <laughs> no, that's just dreaming. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I, I, I'm opti- I think you and I are probably more optimistic than most about this team, and I, I even think that that's something that we uh, don't even consider an actual realistic possibility. But you know what? It, being optimistic and being real realistic at the same time, uh, there's kind of a happy medium because of the way the Bengals – address the needs that we, I think everyone, if you were honest with the team, you knew what they lacked last year in pass rush, especially athleticism on the edge and speed on offense. And then the running back, the, you know, I thought the running game, especially from the running back unit was poor last year and they went and addressed all three of those. So if you were realistic about what the flaws were last year, that allows you to be more optimistic this year, even if you are a realist. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Let's start with what most considered their biggest need entering the draft. And that was pass rush. So far, I'll tell you what I've seen, and I didn't go back and watch film like you. You obviously went back and watched the game. I see a guy in Chris Smith who's showing up, who deserves more playing time against the first-team offensive line, and I see, or don't see, how about this? I don't see a guy who should be on the bubble, a veteran in Michael Johnson. Haven't really noticed him, except for week one when he did a spin move, and we talked about it last week. He got put on his butt. What have you seen from the Bengals' pass rush? He got put on his butt twice week one, too. Uh, the, everyone looks at the spin move, but there was like three plays before that where he just is laid off the line and just got thrown down easily. And, and I was with my buddy watching, and he goes, I don't think I've ever seen that before. And we <laughs> laughed about it because it was that extreme. But, um, yeah, and then, again, against the Chiefs, you don't hear him, you don't see him. And it's different than not saying Carlos Dunlap's name because we know Dunlap's good because he's their best edge rusher still. He doesn't have to do anything in preseason, and I feel good about him. But Michael Johnson played the whole year last year, 900 snaps, and was a ghost most of the time then. So he's not showing up in preseason either. In fact, he's had more negative highlights or lowlights, if you will. And guys behind him are playing very well, whether that's rookie Jordan Willis, whether that's Chris Smith, who obviously has been the star of preseason so far. And then we know Carl Lawson will eventually get into that spot once he's healthy and provide something as a nickel rusher. Uh, but so the focus goes directly on Michael Johnson, and when you're watching him, I don't know what he provides. And some people say, well, he's a veteran. He should be decent versus the run. You can play him versus the run. He was one of the worst-graded run defenders last year in the NFL. Uh, I don't know, you know, at this point, what he does besides, yes, he's been in the league and on the team for a long time, and the Bengals value that. I understand it. Uh, besides that, I, I don't know what you're getting from him. 
Joe, here's what I was told this week from someone when I said, man, they need to move on from Michael Johnson. I was told they trust him on first down to be to stick to the fundamentals. I, I don't even know what that means, but I'm going <laughs> to run that by you. What does that mean? Is that a valid point? That's like Domotapeco, though. They liked him because of that. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're playing your gap and your responsibility correctly. It's the guy in front of you is moving you out of that correct gap and that correct responsibility. You know, there, yes, there's a lot of little things that we don't see. Maybe that's keeping your head on the on the right side of the, the offensive lineman. I don't mean right, left. I just mean the correct side. Um, setting the edge. Uh, knowing run versus uh, pass and on pass and downs, now overrun your lane, stay in your spot. Maybe it's containing the quarterback on the edge. There are a lot of things we don't see if a guy does his job without making a tackle or a pressure or a sack. Yes. Um, but you need impact plays. You need guys that can go beyond the scheme sometimes and make something happen, force the offense to adjust also. Uh, just the difference between Adoma Tapeco, a guy, and I think it's a great example because they do hold on to those veterans maybe a year or two too long because they do what the coaches ask. Um, you look at Apeco, and he would be – mentally doing the right thing, but physically didn't have the ability to impact the defense as much as he used to, to, to um, disrupt the offense. And it works the same with Michael Johnson. If you can't positively impact the defense or make the offense change what it's doing, you're almost playing with 10 guys out there. Uh, the responsibility is great, but when somebody like Willis or Smith or Lawson may not have the same, you know, uh, expertise being a veteran and may end up on the wrong side of the line and may, you know, not have the same type of vision or, or mess up a, a gap or scheme um, assignment. They're, they're going to make up for it with some explosion off the edge, with some pressure because, of, because they have that explosion and, and, and leverage and power. Um, I just think even if you like Michael Johnson as, as a coaching staff, you have to be aware that his snaps have to be cut in you know more than half he can't play 450 snaps not with the depth they finally have i i agree with that and, and here's the thing everyone talks about veteran leader and they need a veteran leader well will clark it's his fourth year he's cheaper than michael johnson i mean it's not my money so i don't give a damn if the Bengals spend it or not but ultimately like i would take a will clark who is going to give you comp- comparable production for a lot cheaper i uh, there are other guys. Uh, Wallace Gilberry. He can be your veteran if you need him to be a veteran. He's cheaper than Michael Johnson. I don't mean to be picking on him, but if you're making a lot of money and your body can't do what your mind is telling it to, which is I, I think what you were kind of talking about, then it might be time to move on. And I just don't see, like if I had to predict it right now, I would say the Bengals keep Michael Johnson, but I just don't see how he's one of the top defensive ends, how he would make this roster if it was someone being honest and not loyal. And if we're being honest and, and trying to rank our defensive ends of what we've seen so far and even what we saw last year, taking the last, you know, 13, 14 months, if you want, um, you would say Carlos Dunlap is their best defensive end. After that, you might take Chris Smith as, as their next best. <laughs> based on Probably. Preseason. Right. And then maybe Jordan Willis. And then I'd put Carl Lawson in front of him just based on camp and oh, yeah. the flash we saw in the first couple, um, first couple drives in the first game. And then Michael Johnson. And I might put Will Clark ahead of him. Will Clark had some splash plays last year. He also had a lot of negative plays. Uh, but you didn't get those splash plays out of Johnson, and you got probably the same amount of negative snaps. So when you get to that, and I thought Wallace Gilbert was a nice 
boost those last four games last year. Now, he was cut from the Bengals, um, wasn't picked up right away. The Lions got him. Uh, the Lions cut him. He wasn't picked up right away. And then the Bengals signed him a couple weeks after. I think you could call Wallace Gilberry and still have his phone number in case the guy goes down or you find out in week three, four, five that the young guys can't handle it. You can always call him back. That's why, for me, I go young because I'm not sure that Will Clark makes a roster. I'm not sure Michael Johnson makes another roster in the NFL. And if he does, it's probably going to be at a steep discount or maybe a league minimum. So, um for me, Wallace Gilberry or Will Clark, Michael Johnson, you probably keep one, maybe two of those guys. And if you need to towards, you know, halfway through the year or maybe even earlier than that, you call one of those guys up and, and you sign them. So for me, I go young, stay with the young guys. And it's it's the reason why we have to focus on Michael Johnson right now because the veterans are expendable. And the young guys probably all get claimed if they go somewhere else. And obviously you don't touch Willis or Lawson. Uh, but Chris Smith, what he put on tape this preseason, and the Bengals did, did give up assets to acquire him. So uh, I assume someone else around the league was probably interested too. Uh, he probably gets claimed or ends up on another roster. So for me, uh, the young guys are on it, and you choose one out of the three veterans to round out this defensive end roster. Joe, I have to ask you, because Pat Sims joined me yesterday. I talked with him in the Bengals locker room here on Locked on Bengals. Is he a guy what, – what does he bring – along with Andrew Billings? Because I, I like Billings. I like the addition of him next to Geno Atkins. Does Pat Sims have anything left? Pat Sims does have something left. Uh, maybe not as much as he had before. I think mentally Pat Sims is what they, they like. Um, his body had some injuries halfway through his career. Uh, he's found a way to you know, string it together and still be productive these last few years now. We went from the Raiders and then to the Bengals. Uh, well, I like the combination of those two. You got to understand. A lot of people will build a defensive tackle roster, or, or when they're making their projections, and they kind of forget nose tackle because today's NFL defenses are, are, are largely nickel defenses, and they don't use a nose tackle for a lot of teams. Um, the nose tackle may only play 300 or 400 real of the snaps as a one or zero tech. Pat Sims can provide that. He can also do a little three tech stuff, but he's more of a home run strikeout kind of guy. There's never too many snaps that are just in between. He will, he can blow past some guys, overpower, and he's still got a little burst um, and really make a guard or center look bad. And then there's some plays where he will just miss on a, on a trap block or a wham block, and he over-pursues upfield or he gets over-pursuing left or right, and the offensive line just lets him go, allowing a cutback lane or the original lane for the running back to, to proceed through. Um, but uh, to be honest, Andrew Billings is very much the same way right now. He's He's young. He's got to learn to play nose tackle in a 4-3 defense in the NFL. In college, especially at Baylor, they're in a 3-3-5 most of the time. Uh, There's a lot more space. There's a lot more freedom to kind of uh, guess and and do your own thing, and you're playing against the pass most of the time. I think Billings is going to play 75% of the snaps against the run, so that has to be his his responsibility. That has to be his main focus of staying in his spot. The nose tackle is extremely important for setting up the entire defensive line and the, the front seven, the linebackers too, especially in run fits. So I think from a from a mental standpoint, they like Pat Sims, and he can still provide a splash play here or there. Billings, though, should have a lot of splash plays, but a lot of downside plays. I think once mentally he's, he's able to handle it and the Bengals coaching staff trusts him just as much, I think we'll see him much more. But and as of right now, I think you have Geno Atkins, Billings, Pat Sims, Ryan Glasgow is the fourth. I think he's had a, a really good preseason, too. And I, it's hard to keep five defensive tackles in today's NFL because you don't end up using all of them. 
But Deshaun Williams keeps making plays in preseason. He may be their next best pass rusher as an interior guy next to Geno Atkins. I just wish I'd see him more with the ones in preseason. He was one of the guys that was still out there with the third and fourth stringers the last couple uh, games in preseason. I'd like to see him get more snaps because it's hard to keep five defensive tackles. You need to be sure that guy can provide something and be active on game days. And he's somebody who's continued to make plays when given the opportunity, uh, but now it doesn't seem like he's getting the opportunities again. Joe Goodberry joining us here today on the Locked on Bengals podcast. He's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Joe, let's flip sides of the ball. Let's talk defensive or offensive line, rather. And what have you seen looking at the offensive line? I'll give you my brief summary of what I saw the other night. I thought that they didn't run block as well. I think that uh, Trey Hopkins, like it or not, he's going to start at guard. And Andre Smith seems, especially with that penalty, on the outs, he's going to be a backup tackle for this team. Yeah, I think you're you're right about that. And and honestly, that excites me that Trey Hopkins um, is, is their starting right guard because he has played well every chance. And he was a guy that probably got shunned a little bit during the draft process because of his height and because he was a left tackle. Um, and I think when teams look at him, they want size. They want length. Well, he had the length. If you look at his arm length, uh, he's like a six 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 seven guy. But being 6'4", and that might be generous, um, he, he team saw him as a guard and a maybe a left guard, a, not, a, not a strong side guard. And even the Bengals, it seemed like they were only using him at left guard that rookie year. And then they experimented a little bit with tackle and then center. He's gotten some snaps there. Uh, right now, he could probably back up all five positions, and that's probably his most value. But when he beats out Andre Smith at right guard, you go, okay, they have potential to find a diamond in the rough. And they, this is a team that doesn't give themselves opportunities to do that often because they don't usually honest, honestly have open competition for a position. Seems like they did this year, whether that was Andre Smith failing to, to grasp right guard, and maybe that was because Hopkins was, was that good. But I thought he had a stellar week one. Um, week two, he. He was up and down. But I think this team struggles with 34 fronts, odd fronts, because especially the defenses that will two-gap, uh, they really struggle with that because you have to be powerful. You have to move the other guy. Um, and you have to be able to understand that linebackers and defensive line are going to come from all different angles and they can they can show you different looks uh, against those fronts. Uh, again, Russell Bodine, I think, is still a, a, a weakness on the offensive line. I think Cedric Obwehi is obviously a weakness on the offensive line. Clint Bowling had some struggles last week, but I think overall he's still their best offensive lineman. And I honestly, Jake Fisher has surprised me. He's he's been pretty good. He's lost a couple of snaps, but getting to the second level, especially in run blocking, I think he's their best guy doing that right now. And he's locating linebackers. He's he's understanding angles um, on a couple of nice runs from from Mixon and, and Hill the last couple of weeks. Uh, Fisher had nice run blocks on the second level. So overall. I'm excited for the right half of the of the offensive line, and, and that, yeah, because I think Hopkins can be decent and yeah. maybe even be a diamond, a diamond or a gem that they find. And then Fisher looks like the guy we all kind of expected. So if they can glue together the left side, and they've been chipping a lot with with Mixon and Hill and, and uh, tight ends, it's going to limit their options in the passing game. They'll, I can see tight ends and running backs being checked down guys. Remember Gresham would run those three-yard outs all the time and end up with a seven or eight-yard per catch average. I could see that being done a lot with Croft and Eifert, and while Eifert's a downfield threat, it should average out. Um, I think these guys, the stress of the running backs, are going to be used more as dump-off guys after they chip, and that should help. But overall, I think the Bengals are 
firmly aware of their offensive line issues, and that's why the, the play calling has been the way it has been. Only the deep stuff or the, or the long developing routes in place have been off play action, and Dalton has saw, saw pressure on a couple of those already. So um, they're going to have to protect better if they want to have a, a successful offense. And I think, it, as we saw last year, if the offense isn't putting up 20, 25 points a game, they're going to lose. Yeah, I agree. And could I make the argument? Because the the offensive line was better in the second half of the year last year, I felt like. But the first half of the year, they were awful. But they they really only had A.J. Green with Eifert down. Brandon LaFell was still trying to get in sync with Andy Dalton. This offense, even if the offensive line is below average and that left side has struggled. Uh, by the way, I agree with you with Jake Fisher. I, I think him and, and Abuehi, him being grouped in with Abuehi is unfair. It's just because they're in the same draft class. But as far as the line goes, let's say that left side of the line is bad. Can they, outside of chipping, can they overcome that just because they have the speed, they have the guys that, that can make you miss? I, heck, I saw Joe Mixon. He struggled the other night yards per carry, but I went back and watched one of his carries, and he had to go back and forth and back and forth, and he got like three yards on it, but it was still a really yeah. good run. It, it was number 99, uh Rakeem Nunez Rochas for the for the Chiefs on that run, and he's two gapping. He's holding up Trey Hopkins, and he's basically put going left and right with Mixon. And Mixon's ba- at that point, like he wants to pick his spot, but he's picking based off what the the, 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 the you know if the defensive lineman's going right, he, Mixon will cut left. And he's really got a Hopkins had to win that that block, and he didn't. And there was a couple more like that for Mixon, where I think it was Bodine blocking the nose tackle. And you got to move the guy or make him commit to left or right and to give Nixon a lane. And he couldn't. Uh, so I, that's a very specific play that, uh, that you mentioned, and I took note of that also. Um, and he still ends up getting two or three yards out of it because once he puts his foot in the ground, he can actually you know, get forward pretty quickly even if there's nothing there. But you asked about the speed. And that is the hope that with enough weapons, if you spread it out, you can eliminate – defenders in the box if uh you spread that you'll empty or will just a single set uh, uh in the backfield with with everyone in sh- with quarterback and shotgun everyone spread out you hope to only have four rushers from the defense and if that's the case you can afford to double somebody and this doesn't include chipping but if you want to have the running back chip at that point or the tight end chip that will can give you six blockers to four rushers and that's how you start to create the, the advantages for offense and try and hide the offensive line Look at the Giants last year. They had a pretty decent offense, even though Manning had a down year, and they really didn't have a running back to lean on. And their line, Eric Flowers, that left tackle, is, is just as bad as Cedric O'Boye. But they scheme around it, and they, yeah, he's going to get beat. But that ball's coming out so fast. And the, I think the Giants were like 97 percentile in three wide receiver sets. They ran their entire offense out of it. They ran fast-paced offense, and they like to spread it out and get the ball out of Manning's hands quickly. The difference is, Eli will hold that ball even with pressure, and he'll take a hit. Mm-hmm. With Dalton, and Dalton being the way he is with pressure, and it's, I mean, we're not making this up. It's not a narrative. It, it, the stats are there. You can see it when you watch them when pressure comes. And even when there's not pressure and he perceives it to be or knows that it's coming eventually, he gets happy foot, and he bails the pocket. And from there, his mechanics break down, his footwork, the, the, where he carries the ball, you'll watch. As soon as he turns into a runner, he bends his knees, he drops the ball a little bit to his waist. He's not ready to throw at that point. And I think it, 
the perceived pressure can be more dangerous sometimes than the actual pressure because Dalton has some elusiveness to him. He can make a play once in a while when that guy's there. I just think on the, with a bad offensive line, I don't want it to get into his head that he has to bail early uh, and expecting pressure. And from there, cutting the field in half, cutting your options in half, and limiting the offense. So it's going to be something to watch for. If it is a cumulative effect of pressures and hits on the quarterback, um, does he start to change how he plays and his decision-making? Because, to be honest, he's he's kept control of the ball and kept uh, it out of defenders' hands. I think he had eight interceptions last year mm-hmm. after less than 10 years before that. So he's gotten better at it. We can't let him revert because of perceived pressure. Joe, I, I have to ask you about John Ross because he's obviously a big part of this equation on stretching the field and impacting defenses if there's pressure. I expect him to play this Saturday. I think that the players in the locker room, Andy Dalton kind of referred to it, A.J. Green referred to it here on the podcast earlier this week, that he expects to see Ross play. Ross has told Green apparently that he's going to play. If he plays, what do you want to see out of him this early? Obviously, he hasn't been out there on a football field in a, in a live game in, heck, eight months, uh, not what, seven months at least. Uh, what do you want to see from a guy like John Ross who brings that speed and is going to be relied upon to kind of impact defenses and change things for this offense? And I think the obvious answer would be everyone would love to see a deep ball, a nine route, and just yeah. see him run under it. <laughs> but, yeah, who wouldn't want to see that? That's I mean, I, haven't even, I didn't even see a bunch of those in practice, and he didn't do a bunch of 11-on-11 stuff, but still, like, I don't expect right. that Saturday. Right. Maybe. And so, maybe, but without that, um, you want to see the routine stuff. You want to see what unit is he playing with? Is he with the ones? Because I kind of expect that, I even hope. though he's a rookie. And right, because I don't want him out there with 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 the backups with with you know McCarron or Driscoll, or, right? Oh. And and defenders. You, I don't know if you watch any other these other games. And the Odell Beckham hit the other day where he almost got his knee taken out. These these low end roster guys or first time starters are out there for trying to hunt for money and make a name for themselves. I don't want my, any of my good players playing in the second half, to be honest. But to get back to Ross, I want to see the routine stuff, whether that's just a 10-yard dig or a screen pass or what, however they're going to use him, he needs to be trusted. He needs to be relied upon by the quarterback and the rest of the offense and the coordinators and coaches and all that. Um, but I want to see mostly how the defense reacts to him. Is he instantly respected? Because I, it's not like this is a fifth rounder that teams aren't going to know about. Every team knows who John Ross is. They all scouted him. They all watched him run that 40. They all know what kind of guy he was at, at Washington. So does he instantly demand a safety? Does he instantly demand off coverage on that side? Or is it going to take time? Is it going to be four or five weeks? And Because the NFL is slow to react sometimes. Halfway through the year where they're finally like, you know what, we can't, we can't let Ross keep beating us. We have to throw an extra safety over there. I think of the Bengals versus the Chiefs and that uh, down the down the seam throw to Travis Kelsey, the Bengals committed a safety hard over to Tyreek Hill's side, and it allowed the open middle of the field to be there with Kevin Minter one-on-one with Kelsey. Great great throw by Alex Smith. But can Ross have that type of impact? And I, I think we all expect it, but at what point? Are defenses going to give it to you now? Because if they do, that's great. You almost want him to be a decoy uh, because he may get 10 deep balls a year, but if he's a deep decoy and 300 other pass plays, that helps everybody else on the team and all the other weapons get open. It'll help 
Eifert tremendously. It'll help the running game. It'll help the pass protection because it'll get less defenders um, away from the, the line of scrimmage and, and clear out a little bit, make it a little clearer for who's coming and going. So that's what I'm going to go back and look for. Even if he catches one pass and he plays 20 snaps, how did the defense play him on those 20 snaps? Yeah, I, exactly. And I think that that's going to be his impact throughout this year. I, I don't expect him to be in the top four or five reception leaders on this team. I mean, you have A.J. Green, naturally. Uh, Tyler Boyd, I think, is going to have a big year. Brandon LaFell, Tyler Eifert. There are going to be plenty of guys that have more receptions than Ross. And his impact, even week, I, I've said this on, on the podcast, he might, week three or four, there's going to be, especially if they're like one and two or two and one, something like that, and they seem to be struggling a bit on offense, there's going to be bust talk in Cincinnati. I promise that John Ross is a bust because he hasn't had you know, a touchdown yet or hasn't had a big game yet. And really, his impact should show up in our film reviews, not necessarily in the box score. Definitely. He's going to affect defenses, and he's going to open space for everybody else on, on, on the offense. And if he just does that, it's a successful season. Uh, I think we've kind of gotten used to rookie receivers coming in and lighting it up. But it used to be two or three years before these guys actually blow up or have their, their you know prime performance. And for the Bengals' offense, you mentioned that so many other guys in front of them. I mean, LaFell's still going to get snaps. Boyd's still going to get snaps. I think they still want to get Cora Malone snaps. Mm-hmm. So... Ross is going to get mixed in there, but I think every time he's on the field, it's going to impact defenses. And for me, that's worth the price of the ninth pick. Yeah, and Joe, the the last thing here, I know I've kept you a while. I think it's going to be interesting to see if they use him on punt returns and if maybe they consider using someone else on a kickoff return. I know Joe Mixon did that in college because these guys, we don't know how many touches they're going to get, if they're elite playmakers and you're not sure how many touches they're going to get, why not get them a touch in special teams? And if so, if we see those guys out there tomorrow on special teams, that could mean Alex Erickson becomes uh, expendable. Right, and I, I'm with you on that, especially because uh, I think they have a good – I can't remember the last time they had such a group of return men like this. Yeah. I mean, you have obviously Pac- Pac-Man and Alex Erickson. Any team will take that duo right there. But you're adding Joe Mixon and John Ross, guys who had returns. I think Ross had three kick return touchdowns. Mixon had one kick return touchdown. And we're, we're not even talking about Brandon Wilson. He may end up on AR, IR, the uh, non-football injury list. But still, those top four guys, yeah, you can allow to mix some guys in and around. And Ross hasn't done too much plant work. I know he's been practicing it and really yeah. trying to get it down. So I think they'll still use Erickson as the safe guy, mostly fair catches, someone they can trust. But when they need that spark, they bring in Pac-Man and try and get a return out of it. I think if you're coming off of a long drive, let's say, where Pac-Man just went, off, went eight snaps and, uh, and Ross is fully fresh, send him back there. See if you can get one. And uh, same for kick return. These, I mean, these two are dynamic. Ross and Mixon, I'm talking about, and kick returning. I would use them. Uh, people don't want to get your guy hurt, but really special teams and the injury thing mostly happens to the blockers and the guys trying to tackle the wedging and the, the picking up those guys that they're running full speed down uh, at you. Rarely is it the return guy that's, get, that's getting banged up or, or smoked. It's, it's usually the blockers and the, and, and the, the, the defenders. So um, for me, if you've got that many guys, use them and mix them in and let's see what happens. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's going to be something certainly interesting to watch. Joe, before I let you go, let's just look ahead uh, to Sunday and get get a, a couple things from you. A couple things I'll be watching. Obviously, the kicking battle. I think it's going to be interesting to see if Cedric Pierman plays because Trey Carson, at least for my money, is pushing him for the, the last running back spot on this roster. What, uh, what's got your eye? What are you going to be watching outside of the stuff, the offense, defensive line, stuff we've already discussed? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Pierman and Carson because I think if you're building the roster right now, you may take Carson over him. Um, Agreed. Honestly, from what you saw last year from Hill, I think Carson could be a better runner than him now. And Carson's got some size on him too in that in that frame. I think this is a big running back core outside of outside of uh, uh, Giovanni Bernard. So they have to be happy with that unit going going forward. They went from especially after Gio got hurt last year to, to where they're at right now, a complete 180 for in terms of talent. So um, I also want to see uh, Jay Gruden from the Redskins, obviously. I want to see if there's any lingering. It's always interesting to me when Hugh Jackson or Jay Gruden go against Andy Dalton again because they're, they almost treat them, and I, I do the common opponent, uncommon opponent thing, but the, the Browns are always common. But the Redskins, when you get them every once in a while, they treat – the Bengals and Dalton as if they know him very clearly. And uh, I like to see if the Redskins, it's preseason, so they, they, they may not show their whole hand, but are they going to mix up some blitzes? Are they going to try and apply pressure? Are they going to try and show one thing pre-snap, give me another thing post-snap? I really want a good game out of Andy Dalton. Uh, I wouldn't say he's had a good preseason. That first drive was really crisp, but that interception, you know, obviously can't happen. And then that second game, it wasn't good on for the most part, especially on third downs. So I want that first team unit to score a touchdown. I want them to score two touchdowns. I want to see more than what we've gotten so far, obviously. These are obvious answers, but it has to happen in the third game. They'll probably play the whole first half. I don't think they come back out, of, uh, out in the second half unless they've really stunk it up. Um, but for me, that's what I, I, I'd like to do um, or like to see. I still think that nickel spot – and I'm talking inside here. It's been manned by Wallace Gilberry, Deshaun Williams, Will Clark. Michael Johnson is said to to do it eventually um, in game. I want to see who that other guy is still. I still think that's probably the one hole on defense they probably didn't answer. And I think you could go with a combination. I want to see Jordan Willis inside. They had some formations that first week with Carl Lawson at, at Sam Linebacker, really playing on the edge in the stand-up rush position with Jordan Willis on the inside of him. And it got Willis matched up against a guard. It got Lawson matched up against a tackle. And Willis beat his guard a couple times. I think you could use Willis inside. And if you're struggling to find snaps for the, the young pass rushers that they have now, Kick one of them inside. Let's see if they can handle it. Now, the, the biggest of them, in a, in a, honestly, those three are small. I'm talking Willis, Lawson, and Smith, small by Bengal standards. Willis seems like the guy with that type of, of frame and strength that okay. could do it and pick it up mentally pretty quickly. So I'd like to see a little bit more, a little bit more mixing in. Uh, we didn't get to talk Nick Vigil this time. I think he's been tremendous in preseason. If he is that in the regular season, I think that's the biggest addition to this defense, and that includes the, the added speed at pass rusher. I just think... The amount they've gotten beat by tight ends, and they did get beat by tight ends against the Chiefs, but it wasn't on vigil. Um, he could be such a boost in pass coverage and adding athleticism at that second level, and they've desperately needed that for as long as I can remember. I think Nick Vigil could be a huge boost to this team. Uh, agreed. I can't believe I forgot about Nick Vigil. Yeah, he, he had a great game the other night. Fantastic game. If you watch the first two drives and just watch him – 
I think if, and I'm I'm using a rough estimate, if there was 12 snaps, I think he was in on 11 of them. And there were some plays there, even in the third and fourth drive, where the backups are starting to get sprinkled in, and he starts standing out even more because of it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, he's a, definitely a good starter in the NFL. And then there's some plays where, man, his tackling and tackling radius, radius has improved so much. If he gets a hand on a guy, I feel like he's either going to slow him down to the point of uh, of everyone else getting in, in on the tackle, or he's going to bring them down. And, and his hands look so much stronger. His arms look so much stronger. He's so much more aware of his, of his body and his surroundings, especially when trash – uh, I'm talking offensive linemen getting to the second level, and he's avoiding them just very naturally, nonchalant. Um, he could be a very, very good player. He's Joe Goodberry on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Great stuff. As always, man, I appreciate the time. I'll talk to you next week. All right, talk to you next week, James. That's Joe Goodberry. Great stuff from him, as always, man. I know what we were recapping a game that happened a while ago, but anytime I can get Joe on, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth the the breakdown. This has been a great week of shows. We still have another day. And so far, we've heard from A.J. Green. We've heard from Dave Lapham. We've heard from Andy Dalton. Had Joe Goodberry recap and breaking down the film. I mean, it's been a great week of shows on Twitter, at LockedOnBengals, at James Erpine. You can subscribe on iTunes, Audioboom.com, and the iHeartRadio app. And by the way, yesterday was our 200th show. 200, number 201 in the books today. Thank you so much for making this grow. Until tomorrow when we'll preview, break it down. I'll give you my what I'm looking for this Sunday, Redskins, Bengals. Until then, I'm James Rapine. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked on Bengals podcast.